Hi, and welcome to this third special Transit Unplugged episode from our most recent conference, Think Transit. That this keynote is all about looking ahead. We are, we've been in the pandemic, we've all taken it on the chin. Now, how are we gonna get up and move forward? In this special group keynote, Jeff Gray, Phil Verster, Alex Wiggins, and Aaron Pinkerton talk about how they are taking and moving things forward and how we as an, a transit industry can pick up, look at what we've accomplished and move towards the future. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so to set the stage here, I think it's really important to look at the impact that COVID-19 has had on the transit industry. Many of you have experienced substantial reductions in ridership, upwards of 90% in some cases. And to date, some of you are still still down, right? With uh, commuter transportation being affected the most in most cities. Uh, you know, what, what has happened as a result of this is routes have been reduced, capacity has been limited on vehicles, masks are re required and even enforced now in some cases, and cleaning has ramped up as well to respond. Thankfully, the government has, has responded quite positively in the US and Canada with funding to, to help you manage through these trying times and for some agencies uh, invest in areas of need as well. Specifically in the US, the three COVID recovery acts um, of 25 billion, 14 billion, and most recently 30.5 billion have come into play, uh, as well as in Canada, uh, there's been $14.9 billion uh, over eight years uh, by, by uh, Trudeau. So with all of that said, um, you know, really, I think what this, what's really remarkable to me and many of us is just seeing how resilient this transit industry is, uh, how resilient the transit agencies are, how resilient the people you are uh, that run the agencies and just how essential public transportation is to all of our cities. As we've had the opportunity to speak with many of you throughout the last year, it's really inspiring to, to hear your plans to come out of this, this uh, global pandemic with a future looking much brighter and with a common focus, the rider. So looking back on uh, day one's keynote, Teresa and Peter referred to the top three transit agency performance indicators. And just to reiterate, uh, APTA's recent survey of its 1,200 members asked the question of what are the top three performance indicators um, you see for success? And, and those came in um, as follows, with number one coming in as customer satisfaction. Really, the consensus is that uh, to get people back on the bus, we need to increase customer satisfaction, the customer experience, and naturally then ridership will increase as a result. Number two, of course, is ridership. And last of all is access to mobility options. So not just the traditional train and, and bus options, but other options that really meet the lifestyle and the needs of, of your customers, your riders. So really it's all about the rider. Um, we all know that it's, it's, it's how to get them back on transit, to trust in transit again, to rebuild transit, to serve your customers better than ever before. So we've learned from opportunities to speak with many leaders, such as uh, like Phil and Alex and Aaron on our panel today. And there are some common themes around uh, how to improve customer experience and get transit back on track. 
Um, Paul refers to it as, as the grand strategy, right? And it, it involves uh, three main elements. Number one is a reboot. This involves uh, looking at demand and changing really how you serve your customers. High tech, low touch is the second, how you use technology to respond to the needs of your riders and this new normal. And last of all, green and clean. Uh, providers, um, providing a system that, that riders know is clean for them, is safe for them, and also reminding them that it's green, right? With um, a way that will remind riders and bring them back to transit and remind them of, of why they rode transit in the first place. So how is this done? What are the, what are the elements to that, that grand strategy? So it really starts with um, reanalyzing demand up here in the top left corner. So more than ever before, customers are asking for convenient, safe, uh, clean service that meets their needs again. Now and post-COVID will mean reassessing and analyzing demand and determining what riders are looking for and what meets, what, uh, meets the needs of that new normal. Based on this demand, it will mean likely calibrating service offerings to meet this new demand. Many of you are going through this and have been going through this already, so this is no news. Um, but it will continue as, as we continue to understand all the changes that are in play. Now, Lauren Skyver has been uh, heard saying before, you know, we got to stop selling what people aren't buying, which I think is, is really telling. And she also said yesterday in her keynote that um, the, tr the transits are, are smart and innovative. Um, you, everyone within the transit agency and the transit uh, world itself are smart and innovative and more than ever before, we're seeing transit agencies really flex those innovative muscles to respond to the new demands that they have from their customers. Recalibration, uh, you know, also means considering where things like microtransit fits in, um, whether this means servicing low density areas or, you know, where it, where it doesn't make sense to run a fixed route bus anymore or first, last, uh, first mile, last mile purposes or just individualized service, um, many different ways to use microtransit. And it also means embracing mobility as a service or mass. Whatever flavor of mass each agency decides to be a part of, it's really just to deliver that customer experience. Riders are demanding one central platform to access various convenient ways to, to travel. And regardless of what flavor of mass, we all know mass transit is, is that backbone. So some common elements we're seeing uh, our customers, you pursuing out there in the industry, common payment and mass solutions to combine mobility options, contactless payment options. Riders don't want to be touching surfaces anymore. They don't want to exchange cash. So, so that's an, a need there. The need uh, for data to show things like real-time occupancy. So, so riders can get on vehicles that aren't as crowded um, and, and travel or uh, plan their travel that way. And even analytics, uh, Aaron will speak to here in a little bit about analytics and understanding how you can more dynamically and flexibly respond to change uh, quickly as, as that's really a need today. And last of all, we're seeing the need to be green and clean, right? Another way to bring people back to transit, you know, things like obviously today we're dealing with, with masks and social distancing. Hopefully that's a more of a short-term uh, solution but longer term, you know, there's, there's cleaning, of course, air and surface ventilation, things of that nature that brings people back and, and makes them feel safe and, and understands that that transit is responding. And uh, again, as I mentioned, um, green as well. So zero emission buses, uh, riders will 
will pick back, ridership will pick back up and people will, will come back to transit uh, as they remember um, green is, is one of the main reasons why they, they, ch- they choose to ride transit as well. Okay, so I'm going to just finish this off with with uh, something that our uh, Steve Sawyer um, quoted here before, and I think it, it really recaps well uh, what we're we're trying to get across. And that's one of the greatest lessons of 2020 is that by using technology more effectively, transit agencies can improve rider experience and in turn inspire them to get back on the bus. So I think really well put by Steve. And uh, with that. I want to jump right into the the panel with our speakers. So, um, before I do that, let's uh, let's introduce everyone. Okay. So first on the list here is is Phil Verster um, with the largest transit capital program in North America. Uh, Phil has incredible plans for Metrolinx. As president and CEO, Phil is uh, building 5.5 billion in transit infrastructure year over year. And investment like this is really important in a place like Toronto, um, where there are over 100,000 new arrivals to the greater Toronto area every year. Phil and his transit team are fixated on safety culture, their employees, and the dimensions of customer satisfaction. And Phil has, um, has experience managing train operations, infrastructure builds, and management for passenger rail systems in England. Scotland and Ireland uh, before he joined Metrolinx in 2017. Next up is Aaron Pinkerton. Um, Aaron's passion for transit is uh, is all in the family. Aaron uh, followed her father's footsteps where her father uh, started the paratransit service in Victoria, BC in the early 80s. Aaron actually began her career moving people on boats in BC, at BC Ferries, uh, the public ferry agency connecting the islands of coastal BC. And now Aaron leads BC Transit, a provincial crown agency serving the entire province of BC, of course, outside of Metro Vancouver. Um, it's a large, diverse geographical province, BC, and is almost 40% larger than the state of Texas with 27,000 kilometers of coastline. Uh, so quite, quite expansive. BC Transit serves a population of 1.8 million people in over 130 communities with 80 plus systems and 1,100 buses. And last of all, Alex Wiggins. Alex uh, is CEO of New Orleans Regional Transit Authority and is a veteran of the United States Army, Air Force Reserve, and the Seattle Police Department. Prior to taking the helm at uh, NORDA, Alex served as Chief of LA Metro's uh, System Security and Law Enforcement Division. Alex's vision for the agency is to build a transportation network focused on equitable service delivery, regional connectivity, and a forward-thinking emphasis on the customer experience. Um, Just wanted to share one fun fact about the RTA that was really interesting. The oldest component of the RTA is the St. Charles streetcar uh, line, which actually began in 1835 and remains the oldest continuously operating street uh, railway in the world. So very, very cool fact there. Okay, so with that, I want to uh, uh, kick it off with with Phil uh, Verster first. Phil, um, welcome. And uh, really, Phil, to to kick this off from your side, I would love to hear your perspective uh, around resiliency and and how do we get transit back on track? Thank you very much, Jeff. Um, COVID has been an awful year for all of us. but we took decisions right up front to keep our construction going, and, and we did so in Ontario. 
and uh, we've maintained our rate of investment and our rate of construction and the rate of production really and we we've done our um, we've done our forward views on 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 the economic impact of transit and whether the, our investment strategy was still on track and we see a world uh, where there are more frequent services more choice for riders um, less single long trains in for a peak morning commute, peak evening commute, and more multiple journey purposes as pe people travel around the region. The really exciting thing is that uh, the picture, you, the four photographs you see there, three of them are, are about seven big infrastructure jobs we completed in the last four months or so, about a billion's worth of um, of, of new stations, new infrastructure that we've put in place. And in, in as little as three weeks' time, um, we will be closing on the commercial contracts for two tunnel two tunnels that as part of our four-year, uh, four-subway four program. We, we've got about 70, that's $70 billion worth of approved projects that we're executing over the next 10 years. It's it's just ferocious, yeah, and and we are we are super excited, and we are just working really hard at this. And if we click on to the next slide, the thing that the thing that we're focusing on as well is uh, is, is 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 how do we and we call it ready to ride. Uh, how do we get our customers back? Um, we've got a regional transit system of railways and buses. Um, and 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 what do we do? And this is where that um, high tech, low low touch focus come in. Our our marketing team have put together marketing campaigns which are very focused, very personalized, very high tech, very modern, very very much focused on what are the type of journey purposes? Because I think that's going to be very different in a post COVID world. And and how do we get people to travel? And and we've progress there in the bottom middle photo, you see our, our contactless payment system where we now uh, rolling out a, a mobile phone, um, mobile application where you can just touch and touch and go. Um, and, and, and this whole focus on personalized offers, end-to-end -end journeys, what is really valuable. We had a campaign before that we called Find Your Go Time. Go meaning Go is our big brand. Government of Ontario um, is our big transit brand. But finding that special um, opportunity for people to have more of their personal time back because they don't have to sit in an awful car. They can sit in a fantastic Go train, for example. So that's the focus there. And then perhaps just the last slide as, as the last few thoughts for the team. I come from a school of people that fixate and obsess about safety, um, and and we've we've taken our safety st statistics, uh, and I would say Jeff on the on the one, two, and three priorities you listed in your presentation, I I would have nudged safety onto that list if I had a chance, but uh, our fixation about making our our operations safe, keeping our customers safe, keeping ourselves safe, keeping our construction partners safe and permeates our, our culture. And what was so interesting is the impact it had, um, the, the link between safety and health, it's a short step between the two. Um, and, and we've rolled out so many campaigns. And I know everyone's 
doing the cleaning and stuff. We're, we're also doing health kiosks, which you can see one of the photos on that page as well, where any any of our customers can get a temperature check. Um, we advise them on how uh, germs are spread or not spread uh, with masking. Um, lots of little uh, little um, demonstrations, and and we do that about sixteen of our a quarter of our stations. We do that in order to just encourage people to be safe. Um, we 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 are, as you can sense, super optimistic about the future. The future is going to be different for sure. It's going to be different, but the economic impact that transit has on a, a city, region, and a province as our own. Is phenomenal, and that's what we're building for. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Phil. Um, great insights there. Uh, you know, as a follow-up to, to what you shared there, can you um, can you share with us? You know, what are the the two or three most significant impressions that you think COVID will leave on your Metrolinx team? Yeah, you know what, we, we've always been we've always been very employee oriented and our employee engagement scores were always in that top quartile you know a respectable top 70 percent type engagement score COVID has got us to be so much more of a caring empathetic mm -hmm. authentic engaged organization our last three engagement scores were all in the 80s um, and and i think you know, personally, and I can speak for my team as well, we've come away from COVID having significantly more um, uh, empathy for people and for community around us. It has, COVID has really been, you know, it's been an eye-opener uh, in that sense. And and, and, and that's, a, that's a big one. It changes the shape and the culture of an organization. Absolutely. But also say we have to be very innovative during this period because our partners in our construction uh, in our construction portfolio, different risk profiles have different perceptions of how risks will affect their construction activities. So we have to be innovative with changing our construction methodologies, our contract forms. Um, we still have to, still taxpayers' money is really important money, so you still have to be very transparent in how you deal with claims and the like. But we we are more and more taking risk back as an organization, sharing risk, not passing it all off to the contractor, much more looking for joint collaborative solutions. So COVID has definitely left a mark. Strong impressions, um, but we're coming out of it stronger and we're looking forward to the future. I love that. And, and the fact that, yeah, the empathy is just building on that, that rider experience going forward, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Rider experience. Absolutely. That's great to hear. Thanks for, for that, Phil. We'll be taking questions from, uh, for all of the panelists at the, at the end. Um, but uh, we'll move on to, to Alex at this point. Thanks very much, Phil. Okay. Uh, to introduce Alex here, Alex, do you mind, uh, just telling us a little more about your vision for, for Norda and achieving equity in transit operations. Jeff, thank you. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and before I get started, I really just want to say I'm just really happy to be on the panel, um, you know, with Phil and with Aaron. You know, they operate some wonderful systems in beautiful regions of the world. You know, Ontario and BC are just absolutely uh, God's country. So um, happy to, to be here. Um, you know, our vision at, at, at the RTA is really to... Um, uh, remove all barriers to success for our employees 
to ensure that we deliver equitable um, transit options and mobility options to everyone in the city. Um, you know, it's no secret that, you know, we have work to do in, in the South and in particular in, in, in urban areas like New Orleans. Um, you know, I was born and raised here. Um, I spent most of my youth here and I, I manage a system that my, my parents couldn't ride freely. Um, I, you know, manage a ferry operation that at one point was the embarkation point for slaves. And so it's something that I take very, very personal here um, at the RTA and my executive team has really joined me in that effort. So as we begin to recover from COVID, uh, we have to be mindful of the impact of COVID on communities of color, and in particular, how we go about uh, restoring service. So what do we know about COVID? We know that you know, people of color were disproportionately impacted, um, illness and, and mortality, in many cases laid off because you know, organizations had to reduce staffing. And in, in some cases, um, you know, agencies, and, and myself, my, my own agency included, because we had to reduce service as a result of, of COVID, we may have unintentionally limited mobility for those very essential workers who actually had to keep our, our, our community going. So we know that, you know, um, essential workers are, you know, people of color are well represented, both as essential workers and as transit employees. And so, again, we just have to be mindful. And then you look at the current challenge we have is the um, uh, efficacy of the vaccine, the willingness of communities to take the vaccine. Some communities may not have access. Others may have historical um, objections to, to the vaccine. So as we begin to recover, we certainly have to be mindful of those, of those communities of, of color. So I want to be real specific about the experience in New Orleans. Um, at the onset of COVID, like my colleagues across the country, um, our ridership immediately dropped by about 90%. Our, our, our fare revenue, sales tax revenue um, dropped, you know, immediately by about 70%. And, um, and then, of course, we had to reduce service by 50% across all modes. And, and currently, we're operating um, about 80% of our, our, our service levels. So um, my question for, again, the industry and my own agency is, did we unintentionally adversely impact the communities that actually needed us the most during this, this, this critical time? And so we really are here at the RTA building a culture that is going to examine equity um, across all areas. Every decision that we make, service, hiring, who we do business with, how we recruit and retain, employees. We really want equity to be a lens. And it's really patterned after um, a program that I, I learned about when I worked in Seattle um, was essentially a race and social justice initiative, where there was a very focused effort on removing barriers and ensuring equity. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we look to restore service. You know, how do we restore service in a way that meets the need of folks that need us the most? How do we better connect um, our riders to educational and uh, job opportunities? Um, how do we increase frequency in those areas where, you know, historically we may not have provided um, the level of service that was absolutely needed? So as we, we look to through a lens of equity at how we operate at the RTA, we're looking to understand the income of specific neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that individuals live in, 
of obviously ethnicity, you know, income, whether or not this community is, you know, comprised of more car um, owning um, homes or, or, or less, and then designing a transit system and redesigning our bus network in particular to ensure that we can offer someone the same level of mobility as they would if they had a car. And, and, and again, access to education, access to um, employment being, being, being paramount there. And so I just kind of want to sum up, you know, there are a lot of conversations about equity and um, I want to really make it very, very simple. So really how we define it is simply the condition that would be achieved if one's racial identity no longer predicted in a statistical, in a statistical sense, how they're going to fare in life. And so very straightforward approach. And so um, that's what we're going to be doing here as we recover from COVID. We have a long uh, journey ahead of us. As we know, it's been a very, very, very tough year. And um, as we recover, we want to be mindful of, of the needs of our rider. Great. Thanks for that, Alex. I mean, it's it's really great to hear that yourself and, and uh, Norda are taking this as an opportunity, right, to come out the other side of this with a much brighter future and better than, than ever before, um, reanalyzing how you provide service. So really, really uh, key insights there. And thanks for sharing that. Um, can you can you share any examples maybe of where you've seen achieving equity has been really successful in other parts of the world? Anything that you're you're seeing as an example that you're you're trying to take uh, you know take um, pieces from and, and learn from? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was really fortunate uh, to begin my transit career in the Northwest, um, and I had a chance to work for two incredible organizations. One is Sound Transit, and the other is the Seattle Department of Transportation. And um, I really want to credit, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, former mayor, Greg Nichols, who actually initiated this race and social justice initiative across all city departments and agencies and actually made a concerted effort to, one, acknowledge um, barriers that were historical and then remove those barriers. You know, not to give anyone an, an unfair advantage, but just simply level the playing field, remove the barriers make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity at, at success. And so um, I've had the chance to, you know, I was in the military and um, did some work for the State Department. So I've really worked and lived around the world. And I, I would love to replicate the environment um, that's in the Northwest. I'd love to replicate that in, in New Orleans and, and make it possible for, again, every customer, every writer, every employee, every business owner to um, understand that when they interact with the RTA, it's a level playing field. Great. Thanks so much, Alex. Um, really strong message there. And thanks for your time today. We're going to, again, save questions till the end here, but I know some are coming in. So uh, um, thank you very much. And we're going to switch gears to, to Aaron at this point. Great. Um, good morning, Aaron, I guess. Morning, right? Good morning. Morning for me. <laughs> uh, so Aaron, thanks. Thanks very much for, for joining us here. Um, you know, our, our GM, Teresa Domingo, mentioned on day one, Aaron, uh, how important it is for, for us to measure here and, and for, for you as, as our customers to measure as well. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about how, how you measure and how you use data in, in your day-to-day -to, -day to lead your agency? Absolutely. Um, thank you, Jeff. And thanks for stepping in because I know it's always a little overwhelming to be tapped and try to replace Paul Comfort's energy and <laughs> charisma. So yeah, you're doing no great, problem. Jeff. Uh, thank you. Um, before I start talking, I do want to start by acknowledging that I am speaking today from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, which is on the Lekwungen traditional territory and homeland of the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations. 
And I, we do ex traditional acknowledgements here in British Columbia. And I think, Alex, what you just talked about in terms of all of the social equity and ensuring that we're, we're reaching those communities, that's, that's a big part of British Columbia as well, is, is acknowledging the lands that we do operate and, and uh, work on. Um, data, data, data. Yay, yay, yay. Uh, I couldn't be more thankful that we, previous to COVID, had spent a large journey really put making sure that we actually were getting some data. So I know that other agencies are in different um, cycles of where they go with their data. Uh, for us, that was a big thing. We had just finished all the APCs. We're, we had just put uh, next ride out there. We're using lot, um, data to tell our customers where to go. So I don't think this should be a surprise to anyone, but again, uh, if, if there's something that we're doing that you hadn't thought about doing, then hey, it's a success. And if you're doing it, then good. Then I know that we're all doing the right things. Um, for us right now, we're really, you know, th this is the way I would describe it. We know that the long term is bright, and yet we've got this cloud of the short term in front of us. So what we're trying to do is is not react too much, but also use data to make sure that long term we're successful and that we can meet our customers' needs in the short term. And what I mean by that is is like just this hyper focused look at all of what's happening with our ridership and demand. So we're using daily ridership dashboards to look at where are people traveling, time of day, what type of service are they taking? You know, we know peak commuter trips are down, but our midday travel is going up. Our weekend travel is changing. So where what are people's adjustments being done in order to travel on transit? Um, mode share is really, really important for me, and I'll talk about that in a bit later on, because who are we, who are, is people not traveling? Is the size of the travel demand bubble going down or are people shifting their actual modes? We've seen uh, in beautiful British Columbia that people are walking and biking more. So if we, if we lose transit ridership to an active transportation, which I wouldn't consider to be competition, then are we going to go after chasing people to say, stop, how dare you walk, get back on our bus versus losing people to automobiles, which takes away from what we're trying to do in terms of building our communities. The one thing that we've also been using is a ton and ton of customer inter intercept surveys. So we can't, you can't predict what people are gonna do. We're asking our customers, why aren't you traveling? So is it because you don't feel safe? Is it because you're worried about catching COVID on the bus? For the most part right now, 46% of our customers are saying, we don't have anywhere to go. So again, being more patient and calm with ourselves in the short term to not try to react to say, oh my God, tra transit's got disappeared. It's the people don't have anywhere to go. But I think there's an opportunity here. I think there's an opportunity to accelerate what some of our long-term visions are when it comes to data and technology. So um, for the, anyone that knows me and hello everyone, nice to see you all. I would love to have a day where we take all the rider's guides and throw them away forever. Reason being is I don't think that we should be held to a four month schedule. When we right now are trying to deal with a recovery of ridership and we don't know where people are gonna be going and we don't know where they're gonna be traveling, let's let's throw those riders guides out let's give people information on here's where you go to find out where your bus is get rid of the riders guides 
shift away a little bit from more of the fixed route systems. I'm not talking about urban mass transit. I'm talking about some of the regional connections, the smaller cities. We operate 75 transit systems that have less than 25 buses. So let's get rid of fixed routes. Let's get rid of riders guides. Let's create nimble scheduling. Let's, let's switch to on demand. Let's see how we can actually pick people up where they want to go and, and get them to where they want to go. And, and this is the customers, I think, will, will give us permission to try things to meet their needs. Um, the other thing that I think that we're doing with data is challenging our current fare structures. So for those that haven't seen in the news, um, British Columbia, the entire province, including TransLink, will be making all transit under 13 free starting in September as a way to encourage the future rider and growth of ridership. Um, right now, in most traditional transit agencies, the cheapest way to ride is to buy that monthly pass. The monthly pass is typically targeted towards the commuter. So if the commuter has gone away, and, and let's also talk about monthly passes when it comes in terms of equity and equality for those so that can afford fare prices. So what are we doing to change our fare pricing and look at incentives for how to get people back to transit? Um, and then the one other thing that we're using with data is we're adjusting our marketing right now to encourage transit in terms of communication. So we're noticing that um, parking lots are full for people trying to go hike. So we're going to do some specialized service called transit to trails, get people to the hiking trails. It's not going to grow ridership back at the levels we would like, but just remind people that we're here for them. That is our job is to take people where they want to go. So lots of different ways I think we can use data and use the information we have to, to align to those customer needs. Um, and I'm excited, I am, I'm excited to see where transit transforms and grows as we move forward in the coming years. Great, thanks Erin. Um, I mean, it's it's great to hear. We're very data-driven here at Trapeze as well. So, so hearing your perspective uh, is great to hear. And frankly, it's, you know, same same attitude, same outlook as, as Phil and Alex. This is an opportunity, right, um, for you to, to revamp. Um, I mean, you know, one question that that comes to mind among all of that is, you know, are you are you concerned about ridership not returning? Is that, right. is that top of mind? Right. Is that a real thing? I mean, I get asked this question five times a day, mm -hmm. and, and I think for me and and Phil kind of mentioned it too. I'm not concerned. Sure, the demand profile might change. Maybe we're going to lose that 20% of the peak commuter demand that are all going to be sitting at home in basements for the rest of their lives working, which I actually don't think is a thing. Um, but honestly, for those of us that run transit systems, if we were to lose 20% of the peak demand, the most expensive service to put on the road, and we could actually flatten out our travel profile and provide an efficient service all day, every day, I don't know if that's the worst case to be in. I think, mm -hmm. I think for me, and, and you mentioned Lauren talking about how we can't put a certain, you can't put product on the road that people don't want. We have to be there for the people. Like mobility, mobility is freedom, and and our transit plays an important role in helping our communities and the economy recover. I, I think that when the world reopens, people still need to get around. Humans in general and society in general are social creatures. Uh, I know there are people right now riding our systems that are riding it because it actually creates the one chance in a day they have to have a social connection. Um, you know, we talk in our province about building back better. So right now, there are less people driving and fewer cars on the road, which is causing less accidents, less emissions, less congestion. 
So the, my worst fear is that we reopen and just put more cars back on the road. Even if they are electric, it doesn't matter to me. You're still just putting more cars back on the road. So I think if we go back to the grassroots of what public transit is, we're here to take people where they want to go. We support their needs. We support social connections. We provide green environmental um, solutions to help reduce overall greenhouse gases and, and help the world. And we provide that safe community for our children and our future generations. We will survive. The public transit will adapt and innovate. We will stay relevant. And I know that we will be there for the future riders to come. It's just, we just have to be in our um, province, our provincial health officer, her quote is be safe, be calm and be kind. And I think that's what we have to do for ourselves as we look forward. So um, my, my one recommendation too, is that our uh, ridership charts used to always show how, how much ridership we had lost. We flip those now, it's as simple as this. We flip them to show how much ridership we've recovered. Just flip the lens on it. Be excited that yeah. as of right now, we've recovered 50% of our ridership within the province. Be excited by that. I don't look at it as a glass half empty, the glass is half full when it comes to public transit. I love, love the passion. Um, might steal a couple of uh, your mobility as freedom. I love that and building back better. Both uh, really, really you can great. Absolutely borrow those. Thank you. <laughs> Well, great. Thank you very much for, for your insights. Um, I think uh, given the time we have, we have lots of questions coming in. Um, so uh, if we can have our moderator bring back the rest of these speakers and we'd love to open it up for questions. Um, so I think we have a couple. I'm just looking here. I think the first is uh, for everyone. So the question is, how will our approach to innovation change post-COVID? Will we be more open to risk and trying new things? Whoever wants to take that one first. I'll, I'll go with that one. Uh, I, I think for definite, um, the different parts of the transit industry and different, different parts of our transit activities will have different risk profiles. And for definite, we'll have to, we'll have to take risk back and we have to innovate and find new ways of delivering things. And that's true in the construction space. But I also think we have to we have to look at, at health risks with a totally different view and a totally different approach. Um, a very practical thing we've done is we used to have people that are um, behind glass screens selling tickets. No more. Our people are all on the concourses. They all instead of waiting for someone to come and buy a ticket, they are now selling tickets on the concourse and providing support and cleaning and traveling on trains and buses um, and helping. So so we clean our buses during the day. So definitely there's a different risk profile and, and our customers have a different risk perception. So, so And we must adjust to that. Great. Thanks, Phil. Great. Um, I think we'll move on to the next one here then. Question is, did any other agency experience equipment damage as a result of cleaning? We didn't. In our case, we didn't experience any real equipment damage related to cleaning. But what we did find is we had a very hasty um, uh, design and, and installation of barriers to protect operators. And we found that we had some unintended injuries um, where sharp edges, et cetera, may have caused a, an issue. And so we're um, obviously rethinking, rethinking that and moving to a more hardy system. Okay. Thanks, Alex. 
Next question here is, can you share examples of equal and inclusive design of services and agency tools? I'm thinking that's, uh, Alex, if you don't mind taking that one. Yeah, you know, we have a really good example of that. We just completed a system redesign um, titled New Links, and we were very specific in how we wanted our bus and streetcar system to work. And um, earlier I mentioned we had a focused effort on looking at those neighborhoods that historically may have had service with headways of 30 minutes to an hour and, and making sure that we could provide service that better connected them to educational and employment opportunities and, and improving the headways and getting those headways down to, um, in, in some cases, 10 to 15 minutes. And so we found that by taking that approach, we now, you know, whereas before about 30% of our, uh, of our uh, ridership had um, uh, transit access and, and headway options within 15 minutes, we bumped that up now to almost 70% of our service area. And again, very focused on those communities that, you know, were essentially transit deserts and uh, we still have work to do, but that bus redesign um, is helping us um, focus on delivering the type of service that folks actually need. I mean, I love what Aaron said earlier, our, our, our most basic fundamental job in transit is to take people to where they want to go and when they want to go. Right. And so we're, we're focusing on that here. And so instead of, you know, relying on a law enforcement officer to handle that situation, you know, we're hiring social workers to actually engage and look at those underlying causes and look at long-term solutions. Now, there are times when you have to use your law enforcement uh, resources to address immediate concerns, but really approaching it uh, from a perspective of dignity and getting at the underlying issues. And this is what was mentioned earlier by Aaron as well, is that when it comes to youth and senior mobility, we are actually exploring um, and, and, and will implement very quickly lowering our monthly fares to actually improve their mobility options, greatly improve their mobility options. And one of our challenges in New Orleans is we also operate a ferry system and historically, we have treated it as a mode into itself, unto itself, not connected to anything. We have now integrated that as a mode like bus, you know, our other fixed route modes, and our passes will work across all modes. And so we can really improve mobility for folks there. Um, but to come back to homelessness, I think it's a complex problem that requires complex solutions. And um, I think the long-term solution is to understand what the underlying issues are, Sometimes it's mental health, sometimes it's substance abuse, sometimes it's a combination of, of both, and to work with professionals who are trained to, to deal with that. Great. Thanks so much, Alex. Really, um, really interesting what you're what you're doing to tackle that uh, that problem. Um, Aaron, we have one more question for you. 46% of riders had nowhere to go. Can you speak to other, the other 54%? Was there any concern around COVID-19? And did you do anything specific to get them to trust your transit agency? Yeah, absolutely. The top three things that we heard from our riders, for those that had somewhere to go and were concerned about riding, it's the safety of the cleanliness measures that you put on board. It's the crowding and capacity of the bus. Yeah. And um, it was masks. So the three things that we did to address that is we, like everyone else, ramped up the cleaning. Number two, we've reduced our capacity on board. Uh, I think right now we're at about a seated load. Um, that's really hard to tell a driver. How
prescriber how to do that every day. So I, I'm open to anyone's suggestions about that. And number three is we mandated masks in British Columbia. So masks are required on board. Um, and then on top of that, really trying to push our marketing campaigns to encourage our, our I can't remember, Phil, what did you say yours was? The um, ride, ride again? Ready, ready to ride. Okay, so ours is Together We Ride, and it's a yeah. campaign as well to encourage the fact that we are all in this bus together. You're, yeah. You all have to do your part. It's We can do our part, but you have to do your part. So it's hard to get that messaging out when a lot of the messaging can come from social media. And, and uh, at the same time, we have a we can play a role. So we've done some cutesy things like a transit dance, teaching people how to get on the bus and get off with But we've also done some things like re really pushed to show people that it's your, you have to do your part when you're on the bus. So safety right now around COVID concerns, I think is uh, also as agencies that likely have to bring employees back to work. There's a lot of discomfort around perception, hesitancy, safety. What are you doing within your own agencies? That's just gonna take some time. That's gonna take some time for sure. And, and Jeff, what, what I can say to, Exactly the same experience as Alex and, and Aaron has had. Uh, the bit to add uh, will be the huge impact our employees have made um, on the ground in how they interact. Um, with so many um, of the homeless shelters in the city of Toronto being full, we have our large stations have become a natural place where, where homeless people have, have slept overnight and right. how our people deal with that and how, how they they hand out um, daycare packages they hand out masks um, everything about how we as an organization interact with our communities are going to be more important to build confidence with communities into the future the I, I think transit organizations have, will will become more personable, more human, and, and, and more empathetic to our communities uh, coming out of this pandemic. I love that. Yeah, you've all been saying the exact same thing. It's, it's opportunity, and it's opportunity to make it a better customer experience, uh, closer to your customers, and, and a positive experience. So thank you all for, for your insights, uh, for everything that you shared today, for answering questions. I think we're just about at time here. We um, we have uh, Steve's going to share some some final notes here before we kick off the rest of the day. But honestly, thank you, thank you, thank you to to our speakers and for those that engaged in this. Thank you for listening to this special Transit Unplugged episode, the keynote speech from Think Transit. Hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to subscribe to Transit Unplugged in the podcatcher of your choice.